Hey, everybody. Welcome to Make My Day podcast. I'm Luke Capriti here with Winston Moy and George LaHoff. How is the sunny West Coast going for you, Winston? It's it's going real well. It's a little chilly right now. I think it's about uh, 60 degrees. Um, but other than that, it, the sun's out and it's great. How is it over in uh, the East Coast? I mean, it's all right. Today we have a bright sunny day in the high 30s or high 20s. <laughs> <laughs> so no jacket needed, really, if you go outside. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's going pretty well. We just had some snow and um, all the shoveling is done. So I think that's that's about how well it's been going here. What about you, George? What are you thinking? I, I, I like the snow, man. I, I would miss it if I didn't have it. But it would be nice to have Cali weather and, and be there. And But it... It was nice because, you know, I got a new pup. You have a new pup, Luke. Winston, you're probably going to get a pup eventually at this rate with all the pups I see you posting. I mean, the girlfriend's got two huskies. Oh, so, so. those are hers. Okay. Yeah. So th- those Inherited. are beautiful. <laughs> Inherited. Pretty much. So, so I, la- you know, I love getting to see Ruby play in the snow. Like, it's like, she's like in her element as like part German, part boxer all those type of breeds of dogs so she like she'll like stay out there for hours and doesn't want to come in eats the snow um just loves it so so i i like it i like it i'm i am getting excited already for the summer and having the garage door open and working with nice weather and all but it's 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 been good (laughs) that's one thing like with the cold i know i've seen on instagram a lot of people saying like i can't wait to be able to get back out of my shop but for me like I guess once I'm out there, my hands, I'm using them so much. They actually have been staying warm. Um, now, don't get me wrong, a space heater would be nice and all that. But yeah, that's that's something that I haven't had to be bothered with too much this year, even though we've had pretty bad weather. Right, George? I mean, we've had a decent amount of snow and cold days. It's been getting so cold. This is the first time, shockingly, that I've actually had to experience like like almost glue up problems because of like the garage being too cold when I decided to start it or like um, like I'm like trying to pour something out of its bottle and it's like in a weird consistency because of the temperature of the garage because I guess I, I worked on isolating the garage from the house and I, this is the like this year has been pretty cold for us so it I've actually been seeing the effects of it and I, I've also hear people complain I'm like oh I'm sure it's not that bad but I have a very small taste, and I can only imagine how bad it can get actually working in a shop when it's cold and all that. I'm still fine. I put on a hoodie, and I'm, I'm good in there, but um, I, can, I can only imagine how, how much of a pain it could become with other people in, like, tougher, cold Yeah, like Canada scenarios. and stuff like that. That's what yeah. I think. Or somebody with, like, a shop. Like, my shop was part of a house. You know, one half of my shop was a bedroom, so part of it's insulated, I guess, in the walls. Mm-hmm. Um you know so somebody with something like in a shed or something that wasn't even expecting to be a shop or something that could be that could be brutal i can imagine yeah first upgrades got to be insulation right you got to make sure you can actually handle it in there yeah, yeah. I, it's 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 been interesting but I, so it's it's been a while since we talked and i i'm curious to hear what you guys have been up to it's been it's been nuts <laughs> over here non-stop every day type of thing and well, I have Go a for really it. So big, um, yeah, I'm so excited. My shop, like I can walk in and out of, I can put my arms out and I'm not touching anything. I mean, I feel so organized. It That's is, awesome. it, yeah, it is such a great feeling. I built a workbench. Um, I'm still attaching the tops to it, but like 
I had all this scrap wood and I had been challenging myself, like, all right, come up with something. And instead of designing it, I was just like, I'm going to go out there, find, you know, say four pieces of wood or eight pieces, see how I could make legs. And I just went for it. And I'm actually really happy with the outcome. So I'm just about done. Like I said, I have to do the tops of it using my uh, old ping pong tabletop. So, so um, <laughs> yeah, I've just been very resourceful to make it, but it's been huge. Like I have all of my tools on that bench. I had bought casters from Harbor Freight that are rated at like three or 400 pounds. So should be good for what I need it for. And yeah, I can just move everything in and out as I need, take it off of the bottom shelf. And I am so pumped with it. So that was Did you like a post huge... it yet? I'm like looking to see what this thing looks like. I'm so curious. But... No, not yet. I've been um, holding off on posting. I've also had an accent wall that I've been working on. Um, oh, wow. And so like I have been able to do stuff more or less. Um, and it's be all because of that workbench. I've been able to actually go out there and maneuver. The whole time making it, I felt like I was a ninja warrior because I'm like <laughs> jumping over things, grabbing tools. But yeah, that was, um, it was just a huge upgrade for me. So like, I get excited now thinking, oh yeah, I got to go out into the shop. I know where everything is more or less and, um, can be productive. So dude, Luke's coming back with a vengeance in 2021 with these <laughs> knocking out these products early on. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the most important question is, can you flip the workbench around and still play ping pong on it? That, as I was saying, the ping pong table, I was like, oh, man, I should have had like the outsides unfold and then lock back <laughs> in. Um, but sadly enough, they, they do not. Maybe I'll think mm. about it since I haven't cut the tabletop yet, but I'm That'd trying be, to just I mean, get. Honestly, <laughs> if you just keep a four by eight sheet of plywood in the shop, you can just load it onto the workbench and that becomes the playing surface. Yeah. You just need to keep a net in the shop. So you can set it up. I can already see how dangerous this is. You're like running back and forth trying to get this, like save this ping pong ball from going out of bounds, running to a shop saw. If you can set up like all of your workbenches and work surfaces at the same height, you could like roll over like a um like the catch table on a table saw and use that to extend your workbench. Yeah. If you had everything on casters, you could just roll it all together and make a giant yeah. like regulation ping pong table that's <laughs> just use clamps to hold it all together yeah <laughs> I mean, that'd and be sick unclamped. if like your shop was also like a game area you know like every part of it could become some type of fun game like like when like Winston billions. came over i on the tv we played some smash brothers during cnc cuts and that was like a blast <laughs> that'd be sick if you could make this happen <laughs> <laughs> and you know what it's it wouldn't be that bad like because sometimes there are gaps between tables and it's not perfect but if you just take like a 16th inch plastic sheet or something that you can roll up when you're not using it you use that as a cover and then you have a smooth surface and it fills like it covers over the gaps and the cracks and the ball will still bounce pretty normally yeah yeah because you don't want those bounces where you think it's going to go left and then it hit that screw head or something and now it's going to go right it'd become like an obstacle course on your ping pong table this is totally viable yeah oh man we're on to something <laughs> i hope this happens <laughs> so so yeah. man you're knocking some and then i also saw you post something i texted okay. you about it like the i guess did your students do that the weight thing where you stood on something to see if it would break or what, what was that yeah um so i thought the maximum that we could see is around 100 to 120 pounds um at least that's from what students did last year when they worked together getting the same materials, we had somebody hold 563 pounds. Jesus. 
So, yeah, like, I was trying to crush it. I had every weight that I had in my house, um, and then I stood on top of it. And I even, I, you don't see it in the video, but, like, I kind of was trying to bounce and give it, like, that little bit of impact. Um, I talked to the kid afterwards. I was like, wait, you have to tell me, like, what you did <laughs> because I'm looking at the design and thinking this shouldn't hold up. And I had thought he was using hot glue. He had actually been using epoxy. So oh, I think man. his joints <laughs> were, up. <laughs> yeah, were like 10 times stronger than anyone else's. So that kind of makes sense. This but, was like a truss or something? or what? what, what it yeah, was like a... so they used, we gave them two one-foot dowels. And um, he had those cut as like his corners. So he had made uh, pretty much like a column, like a rigging column is the way I would describe it. And there was an X where he had split a popsicle stick in half long ways. So he cut it that way. Um, that made the X on either side because they only got two popsicle sticks. And then he wrapped that around with um, strips of manila folder. So they got all of their supplies in a manila folder, the dowels, a couple popsicle sticks, and and then they were allowed to use a sheet of paper. And I think that's, he used that's that. That's insane. Yeah. So just like paper and epoxy held up 563 pounds which included me bouncing on it a little bit. <laughs> so that's insane. Yeah. I was actually disappointed in myself that I wasn't able to crush it. I crushed um what was it? 47 of like 50 designs because there were then two other kids who held up just around the same weight, but those two didn't hold as much because at first I only found like 520 pounds and held those ones. And then this other kid, um, I was like, no, I'm I'm finding more weight. Like, I'm going to crush <laughs> this one. I'm not having a third kid um, defeat me. And I wasn't able to. I found another 45 pounds. I bounced on it. Nothing was happening. I was like, all right, I lose. <laughs> yeah. What so, so, yeah, these kids. That's impressive, man. That's pretty. And I told him, I was like, you guys have thoroughly impressed me. Because there were other kids who were holding 200 pounds. And that then became, like, not good enough you know even though that was double what they Crushed were doing last, last year but still not good enough yeah yeah it's like once somebody broke the four minute mile mark it was like the people who were getting close to four minutes it's like uh, well what's the point now everybody else is running under it and and that's what happened it's like they just destroyed any record that we had from last year and i don't know it's pretty impressive though <laughs> that's a lot of fun man the, yeah. the products you have with the kids there is like just sounds yeah. like like too and much fun so check this one out and then i'll i'll pass it off i feel like i've had a lot of air time um but <laughs> navair is inspiring this next design we are doing Whoa. an aircraft launcher so so we're making them or i'm having them make using popsicle sticks uh straws and um like a piece of paper or construction paper to make um some sort of you know recycled aircraft and then I have a launcher with just rubber bands and they're going to have to have either with like a paper clip, brass fastener, or um, this like special plastic product called Instamorph. I'll show you real quick. This stuff is actually really cool. So the stuff um, you melt in like the so, pot. I think I've seen that. Before. Yeah, yeah. You like um, yeah. almost boil water. Yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. And so I'm going to give them a little bit of that and see what they do with it. So they could make a hook, um, you know, like the uh rrhbs and stuff and see you know we're gonna attach the rubber bands pull back and then see how far they can fly 
So, so we have to hire anybody that decides to develop some mini, mini like electromagnetic launcher <laughs> yeah. with the paper clip and making it like go crazy flying. Yeah. That kid's hired right off the bat. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell him uh, optional materials, a nine volt battery and see what you can <laughs> yeah, do with right. it. Right. Yeah. Oh, that'd be sick. <laughs> so yeah, I thought that was kind of fun. Um, I've been excited about that. Um, kind of like bringing in where I used to work now into school. And they seem real excited that we're launching something. So yeah. that's awesome. I hope one of the kids like. I guess they probably don't have three D printers or anything, but that'd be mm-hmm. cool if they could like make a mold into an aircraft so that 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 stuff you got there could like mm-hmm. mold into an actual air plastic aircraft that they could launch off or something. There's so yeah. many. There's so many ways. Oh yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like yeah, they're hopefully they're going to be real creative with this material and see like you know some unique designs instead of just the hook. Like you could maybe use a little bit of it to maybe hold some pieces together or make, I don't know, maybe airfoils out of it. Because like you're saying, you probably could make a mold and then press it in. I was messing with it earlier today and um, it was a lot of fun to say the least. So yeah, I'm even thinking of using it in the shop to like make hooks and different things for like tools. Um, But we'll see. I'm not at that point yet. I, I haven't thought it through how I'm going to use it. But yeah, it's it is a very um, cool material to work with. I mean, so. that's that's awesome. That that stuff's like pretty similar. I've I've seen like um, Ben Ayuda, probably butchering his last name, um, uh, melt a bunch of water bottles into like a molded plastic that that he could then use. Was that him or somebody else that made it into a guitar? Also, or maybe there's a bunch of people doing that. But that that's kind of what I think of with that material. It's just like melted plastic. And it becomes like rock hard. I'm curious about it as a hook and how, like, that's how, how they advertise it. Yeah, I don't know how much it holds. That's a good question. I could do maybe once I get to that point, I could do some load tests on there. It seems like it's a real good material, though. Um, it's real easy to work with and everything. I don't see anything on the back that gives any strength requirements, but. That would probably be really hard for them. They would have to tell you if you have a one inch thick and give you all the dimensions. So we'll see though. I I think there's a lot of opportunity for me to use that, whether it be in the shop or at school. Um, I think it'll be real cool. That's pretty cool, man. Mm -hmm. What you been up to, Winston, over there in Cali, huh? What have you been building or has it been shop time in the... Uh, Well, not a lot, honestly. Work has been taking up a sizable portion of my time. And I'm working on some, I don't know if we talked about this last time or if it was my other podcast, but I've been working on injection molded enclosures for some upcoming accessories. Um, so it's, it's it fun. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. It, it's been fun um, talking it over with the engineers on the injection molding side um, who we're contracting out to and just learning like, hey, how do you design something with draft angles? the wall thicknesses, the ribs, how can these features intersect, what geometry is impossible. Um, Because like our education as engineers, it's it's pretty broad and you never learn 100% of what you need to know on the job in school. And a lot of it's like you're picking up like specialties as you go along, as you come across them. And so for me, it's been fun. Like, like I've used features in fusion, like extruding with tapers or draft angles that I've never used before because I've just never needed to. When you design for CNC, when you design for 3D printing, you just don't factor these things in, even though injection molding is like a huge part of like everyday products that we use. 
So for me, it's just cool seeing like, oh, like these features, these considerations that I've never had before, these are my new constraints. So go forth and have fun within these limited, well, actually it's not very limited, but like um, just keeping in mind these limitations, design something. Mm -hmm. And it's forced me to um, like reconsider how I mount like a PCB inside these enclosures um, and like just, I don't know, just having to work around like the walls can only be so tall before they get flimsy and then I have to add ribs and things like that. So it's been a good educational experience for me these past couple weeks, um, just dabbling in a different side of engineering and design that I haven't before. Are these included uh, for you, the Joe? actual CNC? No, these are accessories for the CNCs. Oh, okay. Uh, so much smaller. I was going to say, man, I didn't know you guys would... Injection, injection molding, molding like an entire junk. enclosure. <laughs> I was like, what is going yeah. on? <laughs> yeah, no, that'd be a bit much. I mean, we could maybe do like brackets to hold corners. Yeah. So you get some like 8020 or just uh, Unistrut or something. Um, and you just put these caps on and you hold it at a right angle. But uh, I don't think it's the right architecture uh, for something like that. But like little boxes, um, it's pretty great. That's pretty cool. Are you starting to see, like, when you look at a random product around your home or something, where you're like, oh, yeah, that they probably needed to add a draft angle here or there? And, uh... Well, so one of the biggest things that I'm that I'm seeing now, like, you look at a like anything in the shop that's injection molded. Um, sometimes if it's like from Harbor Freight or something, you look at a case, like you see like some sink marks and things like that. Uh, one of the biggest things in injection molding is like if you have a wall and you have something that goes into that wall, if the thicknesses, like if you have a wall and maybe uh, if you extrude a cylinder that you uh, will tap for a screw or it's like just a hollow cylinder that you would like a self-tapping screw would go into, where it meets the wall, as the plastic shrinks, the outside surface is going to get pulled in. So for um cheaper things where they don't really care you'll see like little divots like if you hold a piece of plastic up to the light and you look across it you'll see little indents in the surface where there are features on the underside that are causing it to shrink and so i'm trying to minimize that and you've got to be very careful about where you place features and how thick they are um so like if you have a wall and on the inside there are ribs the ribs typically have to be half the thickness of the wall. So if you have a two millimeter wall, your rib should be no more than about a millimeter thick. Um, and then the standoffs where you might want to put a screw to secure the cover or a circuit board, um, like they can only be so tall. It can, the, the wall thickness can only be so large before you cause sink marks on the other side. Um, it's just like little things like that that you have to play around with and figure out what's the optimal place to put it. Is there any way I could hide any potential surface imperfections? Granted, it really doesn't matter because these are tools for your shop. Like it's not <laughs> like some luxury product like an iPhone case or something uh, or like, I don't know, just a consumer electronic device. Um, a little cosmetic imperfection, not a big deal. But I still want to try and get it as right as I can on the first try. So these uh, these are the fun challenges I toy around with in my head. Um, yeah. Huh. It's it's always interesting to me to hear. And I think I think we want to talk about this a little bit today anyways, but like your attention to detail. Because I think, you know, I think I think Luke has 
a lot more um, like towards your end. But when I look at myself and you, Winston, it's like complete ends of the spectrum <laughs> of like attention to detail and like, you know, what's good enough for like, all right, that, that's good. I'm going to I'm going to push this forward. Like I, and this is why I love talking to both of you guys. And like I like to send you guys my work because then you guys will like tell me stuff that I would have like never been like, oh, that, that doesn't matter. But once you guys say it, I'm like, all right, maybe it matters a little. I'll go back and like touch up this like little area or, or whatever it is. But it, it's just one of those things where like for me, it's like I want to get, and I know this isn't good, but I want to get as much done as possible or, um, you know, my mind's always like trying to think of like the next thing. And I think sometimes I have to stop and like think, okay, is this actually done what I'm working on right now? Or should I keep touching it up? You know, the little imperfections over and over and over again. Um, and I mean, just hearing you speak about even like this job, like this job is kind of perfect for you. It sounds like, right. You, it, you, the, the millimeters difference here and, and like the gaps and like no, being able to notice like who does it worse and like, doesn't give it, you know, a crap about it. It's, it really shows, I think <laughs> how much more you guys, you know, care. I think, about that stuff. I think the stakes here are higher though. Of course. Um, yeah. Because with injection molding, making the mold is the most expensive part of yeah. it. So if you screw up the design, you're stuck with that forever. And so that uh, like just aggravates my my attention to detail even more. Like I'm just super OCD. Like I want this to look good and I know you have to put in the work up front. Do you guys budget um, in for like practice runs like or or like like mistake one that is expected or anything? Mm. I mean, not really. I mean, like, in every design process, like, mistakes will happen. You'll have to, like, sometimes you just need to redesign a product. Um, with injection molds, because, um, like, once you have the, the, the master mold in metal, you can't really, like, undo no, a feature yeah. that you added. Um, but you could always um, machine more into the mold. So if, like, you need to make the wall thicker, you just machine away more metal so more plastic fits in the mold, uh, stuff like okay. that. But, like, you can't change, like, where a hole is, for example. Yeah. So you can make small changes, uh, like, oh, the diameter of this port is a little wrong. Let's, like, make the plastic there a little thicker to, like, make it clamp this hose, for example, a little better, like, for our uh, injection-molded dust boots. Um, but beyond that, there's not a whole lot you can do once it's in metal. But like, for, for, as like as a company, I guess, like, do you guys, do you guys like budget or or think about okay, well, the hole's in the wrong place. We need to redo this entire mold. But it's okay. We we expected like one, one one to go wrong, and we were planning to make two molds or something. Do you guys actually plan for more than one mold because of things like that, or we... is it, let's get it done as close as possible the first time? I mean. We never, like, consider the budget like that. Like, okay. so this isn't the government. We, we're not allocated a fixed <laughs> amount of money where it's like, oh, like you government. only have $10,000 to get this product to launch. Um, like, we know a product's going to be injection molded. It's a couple thousand dollars to make the mold. Like, we're good with that. Um, if we have to make another mold, God forbid some horrible design flaw crops up, we'll bite the bullet we will spend the money to make it right. Gotcha. Uh, there's no like, oh, you ran over budget. Like we're not siloed <laughs> yeah. into a fixed 
a budget like that. Well, you have, but we can absorb a small hit like that. Well, yeah, like you just said, you have ways to absorb the hit. Um, where it could be like, "Hey, Winston, you screwed up, man. How did you not see that attention to detail? That's out of your paycheck, right?" Like to a certain extent, I'm assuming. If you're a team company, then you might be like, all right, we're all going to take the small little hit this quarter or month or year. Or you give um, away one for less CNC for free for like a marketing or something. I yeah, guess, exactly. There's like, that, I'm sure. Yeah, there's so many ways for you. You can adjust things. Whereas, yeah, George, what you're kind of thinking from is the government's perspective of, yeah, here's your money. Figure out the solution and try to do it really quickly, even though it's sometimes hard to work through that in a timely manner. Uh, for all the different constraints yeah it's a a good point because you know a lot of times like when i'm in the shop or like talking to my customers it is like i have to put on like a whole different like mindset of like well this is for me this is for like i just want all my customers to be happy like no matter what it is or how whatever it is and then it i have been finding it tougher actually like trying to um like i have to shut off one entire portion of it to go to the other job a lot of times and i'm not able to mix it as much as i thought i would be able to like i can't like stop for an hour from work during lunch as much and, and work on the maker's side it's like it's like two different brain like thought processes going on and it's been tough to be honest thinking about it like that so that's a really good point you know and that's why I'm, it's it's interesting to hear you know how how you guys do it as a company i guess because because obviously I have those goals of I want to make my all my customers happy, even though I'm not making like, you know, high quality machinery of any type. But, you know, I do have goals to keep jumping it up and better. So it is it's nice to see that that side of the house for sure. Yeah. I know. And I think it's it's important to when you decide to bring a product to market, have that sort of flexibility yeah. um, where you can decide like, oh like i'm gonna buy this expensive material i'm gonna try and make this thing and sell it if it like if it doesn't work or if like like you cut something wrong like at some point eventually you're gonna be like all right i can't keep going to the hardware store and buying more lumber uh you gotta say like this project's just scrapped but up until that point you also have to be flexible and be like all right like uh, I'm going to have to switch from using glue to epoxy or something mm-hmm. and change your process. And that might up your cost a little bit. And that's, that's part of the R and D process. There's no like fixed budget. Like if you want to design a new aircraft, you can't say, Oh, this will take exactly $27.3 million. <laughs> like no matter how hard they something's going to go wrong. <laughs> something's not going to go according to plan. And that's like, that's kind of what makes it difficult to be a company in this space uh, because we're, we're making something from scratch. Um, we're, we're not just like knocking off another company. We have to put in the time and research into figuring out what's going to work best for what we want to do. Yeah. Um, but even on the small scale, like if I think back to like those little aluminum uh, SpaceX figurines I was making, um, that was not a cost effective process. Like I, put tens of hours into like doing cam and machining and machining again and then doing more adjustments to my tool paths like and there was no financially viable outcome from that even though i thought it would be cool but for me it was just okay to like i'm doing this more for fun than for profit 
and that changes the math on what you're going to let yourself get away with. That's a really good point. Too. I think that's a huge thing. Like Winston, you're bringing up all the different variables that you can pull from as a maker. Like George, you're kind of thinking as it from a business perspective. Yeah. And then Winston's also bringing in like, well, you enjoy to make things, George. So if you're having fun doing it, you could probably take more of a hit on those products. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to perfect things and all of that and just look at it purely financially, then yeah, you might have to start um, looking harder at are you using glue or epoxy, pine or oak, and like really doing the math of all the different aspects that you can really look at the problem from and start uh, manipulating to see, do I need to add those attention to details um, at, or not? Because mm-hmm. I, I think of that from the perspective, am I giving them a luxury piece of furniture mm-hmm. or did they get what they paid for? Um, and I know that kind of like using that terminology, it sounds, <laughs> it can sound bad because it's like, oh, you didn't pay me enough money. So you're going to get this Harbor Freight level or Harbor Freight quality item. That's not the point. It's more um, if the person was flexible with you time-wise mm-hmm. on delivery, if they... Um, you know, said, oh, I was going to spend $500 on this and you only said 300 and you're like, oh, okay, well, um, and they want to give you more money. You're like, all right, fine. I'll put in more hours to make this even better for you or to give you some sort of custom engraved thing. I know like I never know how to adjust the cost of an item when I look at it from like the hours that I put into it mm-hmm. because I've done so many like custom items as opposed to here's a product that i spent time on i like this product and i'm going to now sell a bunch of them i i'm so much of like oh you asked for this wine shelf you asked for these engraved shot glasses like i'm just getting random things that i'm customizing and so if i look at it purely like winston's saying from a time perspective that i put into it then it's like oh man i gotta charge them a, a big amount of money here just for researching which shot glasses to get, uh, how to design it, what designs you want, giving them you know, all these different options. When it's like, well, no, um, what's a reasonable price for these things? And now I have that in my tool belt as to down the line, I might go ahead and um, tell people I can do this and mass produce it. Like I always have a big problem with the weighing of so many different variables and then bringing it to a dollar amount, mm-hmm. um, you know? And, and I know this all does go back to attention to detail. It's just that's how I think of it is my attention to detail will vary very much depending on who is getting it, like what it's for, um, uh, where it's going. You know, if it's going to be like at a wedding, they probably want it to look like really, really nice. Uh, whereas if it's a storage closet or cabinet that I've made and they said they don't really care, I don't have to do three coats of paint on there and all of that. So. I don't know. Those are just some thoughts that I've had about attention to detail. (laughs) My little finishing is, is the worst part (laughs) because if you want to do it right, it's like, Oh, this, like if you put polyurethane, uh, you've got to put on this many coats. You've got to wait this long for it to fully cure. And when you're doing a project for someone with a deadline, you have to plan ahead and be like, I need to finish all the woodworking parts of it a week before so I can start the finishing and have it cured in time for delivery. And I'll be honest, that's been one of the deciding factors in what kind of finish I'll use on certain projects. (laughs) Because it's like, 
I've got a couple days. I, I can't do the full like epoxy flood coat on this. I just need to put a polyurethane coat on it and call it. And it, it kind of bothers me because I feel like I've designed a project that I'm really proud of and I just I can't get it to that perfect mirror finish that I want at the very end. And that's where it matters, uh, but... man. The finish uh, that's one thing I that's that is one thing I'll say like I am actually trying to focus a lot more is the finishing is where like it all comes together. Right? Like it could actually look so dull and like okay, you kind of put it together then you add that finish and let it like cure for a week or something and it's like wow, like that thing like really stands out now. But I also find that that's like the one thing that like a lot of my customers don't understand the wait time for, I guess. So like a lot of customers are like, Hey, I need this faster. I'm like, well, like just the finishing the process that needs for it is three days and you want it in two. Like, and I, that's not, that's before I even build it. So like, it's not really possible. And they're like, well, can you do like, can you speed it up somehow? I'm like, uh, I, and one time I tried to, and I sent it and I think like the bubble wrap was like too sticky to it, obviously, because it didn't cure enough. And I regretted everything. I was like, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to like try and speed up the process of what things actually take because it, it looks bad on me and they won't understand, obviously, why it needed more time. So it's it's one of those things that I, I agree completely with you guys, but it's all in the finishing, man. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a huge point there. Like if you told yourself, say, five years ago, you're like, Finishing is so important because of what you just said. Like if you mess up there, you have to kind of start all over or, you know, you're you're really giving yourself a bad image. And I feel mm -hmm. like I've done that a couple of times where I'll look back at it and like, oh, my God, I should have sanded that. more. I can see all of the um, streaks like because I jumped like the grit of sandpaper and me thinking like, Pfft, why do you need to go from 80 to 120? Like, I'm just going to start at 220. <laughs> I'm done. And then it, then you learn, like, oh, let me put the stain on there. Oh, I see every single mark that I made on it. And now I'm, like, you learn from it, which is great. But you're also like, wow, why didn't I just listen to the other thousand people that I heard tell me this piece of information? So I know, like you're saying, George, it's kind of, it's like an investment to put in that extra day or to tell them like, Hey, this, it's just, it is what it is. You can't go anywhere else. And <laughs> they tell you that their polyurethane is going to cure in one day as opposed to three days. And, um, yeah, I, I find though explaining that type of stuff to customers can be challenging. Um, I, I think most people learn this lesson, honestly, with epoxy. It's, and and with um like forms for epoxy because not only do you need to let the uh, epoxy cure obviously which is a long time but if you're making a form for whatever you're pouring epoxy into like if you're using like uh, like a silicone in, inside of it so that it doesn't leak out that that was one of my biggest mistakes not letting that cure because that just freaking um one time i tried to pour it in and it wasn't uh, fully dried and that just mixed with the epoxy became a huge mess leaked out that was like the one of my biggest mistakes i still remember and i learned heavily from that because epoxy is not cheap so like that i think epoxy teaches you so much about like you got to just let things wait like wait things out give it an extra like 24 hours even on top if you're able to because you don't want to you want it to be completely finished when you move on to the next stage <laughs> and this is extra important uh advice especially nowadays in a cold garage um our shop uh for carbide 3d 
hovers around like 65-ish degrees. And the ideal cure temperature is like 75, 77 Fahrenheit. And the the difference is noticeable. Um, Like it'll take an extra 8, 12 hours to reach like the hardness where you feel comfortable sanding it. Like uh, after overnight like my fingernail was still leaving indents in an epoxy pour i did and i was like nope just gotta let it sit one more day um those are kinds the kinds of things you can't rush did you try putting like a garbage bag over it to try and like keep the heat inside of it to help it uh, like cure? i, I that's a good did trick. not at home what i'll do is i'll uh since my i've got a cnc enclosure with the door mm-hmm. i'll take a little lamp with a old incandescent light bulb and stick it in there and close the door and that keeps the temperature a couple degrees warmer versus the outside at night ah. and so that's how i cure small things uh, or if like painting polyurethane like anything that dries and it happens better at a higher temperature i'll throw it in the enclosure keep the light on and uh it'll it helps like five to ten degrees wow so here you guys can teach me something um with epoxy is it trying to like bring moisture out of it is it just trying to like what is the curing process uh, because i feel like the, the trash bag idea just because it's keeping heat in then the humidity levels if it was water coming out of it right i'm just curious if you the, know. it's a chemical process um where the polymers are is it cross-linking i might be confusing it with a different one but it is a chemical reaction that's happening that is naturally exothermic. Um, so you, the first 10 to 45 minutes is the most critical, yeah. where you want to make sure it doesn't get too hot. But after that point, the rate of the chemical reaction as the resin sets um, is kind of temp- temperature dependent. So those the linking of the polymers happens slower the colder it is. Um, so you want to keep a certain amount of thermal energy in there so that it proceeds at a reasonable rate and cures within the specified time on the container usually three to five days sometimes faster Um, but if it gets too cold those reactions don't happen quickly enough and uh, you just you end up with after three to five days epoxy that's still not quite rock hard and a lot of people actually like think that it's never gonna set at that like at that point but it's really just a time thing. And you've probably seen some videos, Luke, of, of epoxy like mishaps where people pour more than, I think it's like a quarter inch at a time. And you'll see smoke come out and it'll start melting stuff. It's like, it, it gets dangerously hot. Somebody just posted a video of them as a test, like pouring the mixture into a plastic cup. And you just see it all like disintegrate in front of you. It's like crazy how hot they, it gets. It's uh. So it, it's a pretty crazy reaction and it's extreme. So, so the garbage bag and the enclosure is honestly, in my opinion, the, the most dangerous part is if you're in the room still or, or somehow breathing that in. Cause that's now you're like focusing all that, those bad chemicals into like one area that like you are not supposed to breathe in because it is bad for you. <laughs> yeah. I just went for it with epoxy. I saw everybody doing it kind of thing. Like I sound like a drug addict there. Just saw everybody doing it. <laughs> so I'm just going to try it. But no, seriously, when um, river tables became like that huge thing and it's so bothersome that they're still there, like as I'm scrolling through, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> but anyway, I don't want to digress too much. Um when I saw all of those, I was like, oh, yeah, I would love to use epoxy. Like, that looks awesome. I'm going to try it out. 
and I would get down like right next to them and I would be breathing on the bubbles to just pop them and just be like, like hot breath on it. But just sitting right there, I would pour probably close to a quarter of an inch, if not much more than that, like oh, more like man. half of an inch. <laughs> and I would notice it would get hot, but yeah. I didn't think much of it. And I did then eventually learn like a little bit more. Okay, yeah, this can get hot. It could be dangerous. But for what I was doing, most of the time was just like covering up any sort of knots mm -hmm. on wood because I thought it kind of looked nice with the knots. Um, the bark on there, I, I thought that would be like a different take, like leaving bark on trees, even though some woodworkers will be like, don't do that. That's where all the bacteria lies and all that kind of stuff. Mm. My argument to it is like, isn't that the point of the epoxy to yeah. encase whatever's <laughs> in there? But maybe I'm wrong. Um, so yeah, I, I never had an awful um, like kind of thing happened besides there was a hole in the wood, like a wormhole, I guess, within a piece of, I think it was cherry and I was trying to fill it. And so I kept pouring epoxy in there and then I would look at it like, okay, I, I guess it's just a pretty deep hole. Like, let me try some more. And eventually I realized it just kept going out the other side yep. and I had a little pool of epoxy. <laughs> and like you said, George, it's expensive. So I'm just like literally pouring money down the drain wondering why isn't this filling up Dude, so yeah epoxy out, man you gotta check out john malecki's video of him doing this like uh, epoxy table where it's opposed to the vertical part he was trying to make epoxy and they made a mold and they left it and they come back like after the weekend and his whole shop floor because it was a lot of epoxy his whole oh. shop floor it must have like probably almost an inch and it just like spread so wide i can't imagine how they clean this up Oh and you see it on the camera and i i just like i i like had an anxiety attack for him because i'm like I, I would walk out i think at that point yeah. and come back a week later. just burn burn <laughs> it to the ground right start over but, but what you're talking about with like the blowing the bubbles my aunt actually um does a lot of epoxy art actually in egypt and she watches a whole bunch of youtube videos and the YouTube videos were teaching her to blow out the bubbles with a straw. With a straw, yeah. And I, I'm like, stop, like, you like, stop, mm -hmm. like, stop immediately. You're easily breathing in the same amount that you're pushing out, and that is like direct. Like that is like probably the worst amount of epoxy fumes you could be breathing in. And I can only imagine the amount of people are, that are doing it. It's like sad to think that you know it, it's art to a lot of people, and they're not really considering uh, the, like the hazardous part. And man, I just. It could be pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, like, that's a thing with any of the stuff that we're doing, whether it's with CNCing, um, you know, aluminum, or uh, if you are woodworking and sanding stuff, like, there's so many hazards that come to it that when you start out, you're, you're aware of, like, oh, that's a sharp part. Don't put my hand there, mm -hmm. right? Like, okay, the spinning bit or the saw blade, like, you know those things. But then when you're sanding, like... Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, this smells good. Like this, this is nice. I like that. Love and that. <laughs> I, yeah, I sanded the big dining room table that we made in my old home. Like I sanded that in our home with like no ventilation or anything. It was the dumbest thing that I've done. I see Winston just probably like, oh my god, you're an idiot. But I would love um, to see your HVAC system. <laughs> well, so exactly. Like, like we're not, we're not there anymore. But what we would do, like months probably if we ask agent she probably would argue more like a year or two later you could wipe your finger on just like random parts and smell it it was walnut dust like they're a hundred percent walnut 
So it's like embedded in that home, whether it's in the HVAC system, if it's still floating in the air. Um, I don't know, man, but it was not smart. But I'm real proud of the table. It's just it was one of those things where I was like, oh my God, why didn't I? Why didn't I get a Merca sanding, uh, you know, disc or something? I'm right there with you. I know exactly what you're talking. So, you know, when I was back in my mom's garage doing this work, um, I I still remember like when I first realized, oh crap, this cannot be good. I was like sanding a bunch trying to get. I think it was the Adirondack chairs of this building. So I was sanding a bunch. It was cold or raining, and I actually had the garage door shut. Oh, it was probably because it was late at night also. And I'm just like sanding away. Don't like I don't have like a shop back or anything at this point. And I go inside just to get like a cup of water. And I'm coming back to the garage and I open it. And you don't notice this when you're in it, but once you leave the environment, and come back. I can't even see into the garage because of how how foggy it is from the sawdust. And I was just in there sanding and breathing it in like so harshly. And and then I'm like, oh crap! Like I'm like constantly breathing. And this is the first time I notice it. And I'm like, all right, I got to like figure this out. That's when I started looking at all the shop safety and stuff. But I was I was breathing in a lot of really bad stuff for a long yeah. time until I figured it out. Yeah, sanding, any of that stuff. I, I think I did the very similar thing where when I looked back into where I was working, it's like I can see what I'm breathing in. It's crazy. Cannot be good. Yeah. But yeah, I guess you live and you learn. And it's better yeah. that you learned <laughs> earlier than when you're 50 years old and Maybe, you know, after these past 25, 30 years, I should probably wear an N95 or other type of breathing apparatus. That's, uh, yeah. that's for sure. Oh, my God. <laughs> so so we were talking about attention to detail before, and I wanted to hop back because um, I know we were all kind of chatting about this a little bit. Um, but with Valentine's Day that just came by, as well as other events, um, I think we were all doing some gift giving and stuff for significant others and, and things like that so i'll start with winston because i know winston i saw him post like some pretty sick box that he was like epoxy inlay and it just looked beautiful <laughs> well, <thank you. laughs> so that was a jewelry box that you made yeah it was um so it was building off of i had a commissioned anniversary gift for a, another navair engineer actually oh. um and they like Navair Aerospace, they um, like the if the packing efficiency of the hexagon shape, and so his significant other asked me like, "Hey, can you design a box around these constraints?" And I thought it was pretty cool. Um, and as an engineer, he also liked uh, big, stupid, heavy chunks of aluminum. So the <laughs> bottom of the box was like a three-eighth inch plate of aluminum. Oh wow! So it was super heavy, um, but. I thought the the concept was cool, and I wanted to build on it um, because it was it was just a box. Um, the The gimmick was the aluminum honeycomb embedded in uh, resin that I used as like two thirds of the box's sides, uh, one third, sorry. Um, and I it was a really cool material, um, and I had some extra, and I was like, all right, how can I elevate this? So instead of the stupid heavy aluminum base. Uh, I got some like one and a half inch uh, maple boards and I just carved some really deep pockets into it. So I built that into the box um, and I put in a removable tray on that. And then for the lid, I did a V-carved epoxy Jeez. inlay, which like that's 
you can either do it with like Vectric and you do the the two pieces of wood that mate perfectly when you inlay it and you just sand off the top. Um, I was still concerned about the level of detail I could get with that because there were a lot of thin. Uh, it was a the inlay was um, some uh, a floral arrangement, so you've got like thin leaves and points and a lot of fine detail. I wasn't sure would be captured, uh, so that the inlay turned out really well. Uh, where I sort of um, so the the thing is. I never want to make one of these boxes again <laughs> because with the, the hexagonal <laughs> joints, um, it's really hard to, to clamp it all together to glue it up. Um, uh, especially, yeah. so one of the faces is epoxy. And in order to glue that to the other sides, you have to use epoxy. Uh, like you can't really just throw wood glue on that because the epoxy is slightly translucent. You'll see it. It doesn't mm -hmm. bond as well. So when you're gluing this thing together, two of the joints on the sides of this um, panel need to be epoxy. The other parts need to be wood glue. You need to clamp this all together. Hope it stays like hexagonal. I can't say square. Um, <laughs> and then also, if you get any squeeze out, the epoxy is much harder to clean up. So you have to make sure there's like virtually no squeeze out. Um, because, like, how are you going to sand the inside of this or clean it up afterwards? Uh, keep the detail. Uh, and no then you way. have to finish yeah. on top of that. It's just a logistics nightmare. Um, so I ended up gluing these in two halves. Uh, two three-panel segments for half the hexagon, half on the other, and then gluing those together. Um, the downside to doing it that way is that since they're glued separately, uh, there's no guarantee that, like, if your miter joints yeah, are perfect, perfect. They'll come together. They'll be a, like a couple degrees off. They won't line up perfectly. Um, so there's a little bit of that that I had to hide. Um, just overall, it was a really tedious project. The result's super cool, but there's just so many challenges that I would never want to mass produce these boxes. Um, and like, there, there's like if if you know where to look, you can see the gaps. And as the creator, that will always bother you. <laughs> yeah, like you know exactly sure. where to look. Like. Oh, like this is where I screwed up a little bit. This is a gap here. The epoxy, there's a little tiny bubble right there. Um, things like that, you will probably never get over. And trying to find the point at which you can be like, this is good enough, I will walk away, is one of the hardest like compromises you'll have to make in a piece that personally that I've found. I know there are other places where you could go awry, but this is like when you're at like, the 85 90% completed mark and you're just wondering like how can I give this to someone with so many visible flaws in it um like at some point uh I think what helped me was the fact that I had already made one of these boxes before um with without the benefit of all these lessons learned so there were there were a couple more small like flaws in my mind but the present was still well received mm -hmm. Um, that, that gave me a little bit of confidence that like, Hey, people like, it's a cool part. Don't beat yourself up over the tiny mistakes. Um, but I, for me, it was still like kind of challenging to, to swallow that. Like my pride was like, I couldn't use that flood coat of tabletop epoxy that I wanted to. I had to use a, a thicker polyurethane that doesn't have that same sheen. But at the end of the day, the recipient 
doesn't hold you to the same high standards because they're like unless you're giving a gift to another fine woodworker they're not gonna nitpick the same things that you're nitpicking right now um so you have to find that balance and for me that balance is what are the things that the average person isn't going to care about once you achieve that you sort of have to just overlook your own insecurities about all the flaws in it and just press forward and be like all right this is where i'm drawing the line like if i look across the finish it's not like super smooth like i probably could have put another layer of polyurethane on it my girlfriend's never going to know um but little things like that it's just it bothers me but i know i have to let it go one of the biggest things i've learned (laughs) one of the biggest things i've ever learned is you know no matter all the defects you know about the piece don't tell people like (laughs) it's not about hiding it it's just that others don't see it and they they'll normally just see like wow that's like beautiful and they love it and you're instantly the second you like point out because i've done this way too much like i've always my instant reaction when i give somebody a gift is like it's really not good like this is wrong this is wrong like and that like that's like what i normally do when i learn i gotta stop that because the first reaction people get is like wow that's awesome and then you're like almost taken away from like the beauty by like pointing out all the defects because they wouldn't have ever noticed or cared like and they probably still don't notice or care but it's just like taken away from it um and and you you just gotta like just accept that okay that that's the way it is there's there's things wrong with it and you know they'll they they might notice one or two things but they won't care they appreciate the gift at that point or the product or whatever it is yeah that's a hundred percent right because like you said george i've done that so many times where people like compliment something that you've done whether it be something that you're giving them or something you've made for yourself or your home like wow that's awesome and you almost feel like you need to like whatever it is defend yourself to be like but but it could be better and they're just like what are you talking about i i don't care that you didn't do dovetail joints or that you didn't put a third coat of polyurethane (laughs) what is polyurethane right like the the level of care is just not even in the stadium or city or whatever that you're in so I think that's like, again, a a huge thing that over time you learn, but you still always grapple with it. Like you're Mm -hmm. always going to say, oh yeah, for, you know, this jewelry box, I I could have done these things. And I don't know if it's that you will necessarily make the change in the future, but it's more, I think kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, that um, if you can plan things out or like the way you Um, actually go about doing the project ahead of time if you give yourself an extra day for more finishing or um, you know if you you really just like go for the project and say I need this much time to do it then you could be perfect but I I think it just always is this weight like that you're balancing of well do I want to spend a whole week just to do a jewelry box Mm -hmm. or am I trying to get it done faster and and sometimes the answer is like good enough is just getting it done to be given i guess so so my sister's birthday just passed and i finally it's this is like the third year i try to do this i finally gave her the bookshelf book the bookshelf chair i was making for her and i promised this to her every single birthday for the past three years (laughs) and this this bookshelf chair has become like that piece of like that project of mine that is like my biggest like freaking like envy because you know, I, I just, for some reason, never got to it or I started and so many problems came from it. And I'm not trying to blame everything on this, but I, I've learned that a lot of it was 
this was an instructable type of design and it's terrible i mean the amount of pieces and different joints and this person used like pocket hole joinery on like so many small pieces of wood that it was like it was insane and i, I want to re redesign it because it's a beautiful looking chair but it's not um ideal for making especially for like an instructables project but i finally got it done and i was literally making it up till i was up till 2 a.m the night before the birthday putting it together at 2 a.m i was trying to put on the first coat of paint so that i could paint the next day absolutely hated the paint i had in in my garage so i, I was like all right I just gotta stop i had work the next day worked ran during lunch to go get the new paint color from lowe's or wherever it was that i wanted like that looked good came back started thank god i had the um air sprayer because i was the home right air sprayer because i was able to um like paint the whole thing really fast with that and i was able to get it done and there's so many things wrong with it that it, like it irks me it, like kills me because like you can see like it wasn't sanded down with all the pocket holes some of the pocket holes i didn't care about in the back because the books would be covering it and all that kind of stuff like but it is i'm happy it's done she loves it it's it's one of those things that's you know again it's finally just done and it has to be good enough it's definitely not good enough but it has to be because i wasn't going to let another birthday go by where i actually spent a lot of hours working on this already and i you know i actually feel bad for anybody who like tries to tackle this as like one of their first projects or something because you know, I'm no expert expert woodworker, but I do have experience at this point of like, what's a good way to attach this and cut this and make it faster. And it this chair gave me hell, man. Like over and over again, it was it was a heck of a, pro, a process. So, so all of that said, I you know sometimes good enough is just done, and you know, it it is it's a good looking chair. There are defects, and sometimes the defects just go to the beauty into the store. And and this was in in my like. I'm just going to have to say like, like for, for this chair, the beauty is the fact that it, it, I was able to get it done no matter how hard and how late I had to work on it type of thing. And it's nothing that's going to go like on for sale for thousands of dollars or anything like that. But I, you know, there are those cases where I think that's, you know, that, that is what it has to be, uh, unfortunately. But again, me seeing it is like, I see all the defects hopefully they see it and they're like wow that's a really nice chair you know that's the that's the best thing i could hope for at the end of the day and there's just so many different levels you know so many different levels of good enough at that point well your sister can always just hold it over you be like look at this <laughs> crappy chair you made me that's <laughs> so why i never sit in it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny yeah. their dog has been sitting in it more than anybody else at this point <laughs> which you know I'm, I'm cool with <laughs> it does look like a perfect dog chair like kind of they can Very wrap loudy. themselves up in there yeah, yeah. Um, i i do have a question actually for both of you guys but i know we're kind of running up near the end um one winston i'm probably gonna have to be making hexagon shelves so i might have to ask you for some tips or tricks of how did you get your 60 degree um cuts and were you using the CNC? I didn't follow your whole process, but um, I'll definitely need some tips and tricks on that because I think I'll be making a few of them for one of our shows. Cool. Um, and then, um, George, with your book chair, why did you end up using the Instructables and not just designing or making it yourself? Um, just because I actually have more frustrations, I feel like, mm -hmm. using someone else's plans because it seems like somebody always is missing something or they overlook something. 
And I don't know if these are questions or things we tackle next podcast. But yeah, those were two things as you guys were telling those stories. I'm just thinking, man, hexagon shelves now, they seem awful idea. <laughs> and book chair, what is version two going to look like then for George since he's got to be the designer of it, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's actually not that bad. I've got two quick answers for you. Um, in terms of getting the joints right, I use the CNC with a 60-degree V-bit, and I just sort of route like that V-groove. Um, what I was trying to achieve was like a continuous grain wrap. So I take a board, and I cut those grooves on the CNC, and then you basically just fold it up. And the kerf is smaller than what you would get on a miter saw. But you could totally do it on a miter saw. I would just test it first, like get some scrap wood, cut some... Uh, bevels at 60 degrees um, use a good gauge or an angle finder to make sure you're at exactly 60 degrees and then verify it by trying to glue up your scrap wood and make sure it all comes together nicely uh, if you see any gaps like you know you need to adjust it but the angle markers on a miter saw should never be trusted like they're, they're like within half a degree but you'll still see those over multiple joints they will add up um, I also printed some uh, like 3D printed some corner brackets that I ran a little ratchet strap through. So I made my own little like strap clamp, um, which can help. And then the other thing for you is you're using one material, wood, which means you can sand, you can use the same adhesive, um, you can finish it all the same. So in terms of hiding your mistakes, it'll be a lot easier. Um, a plastic drinking straw cut at an angle is great for just picking out wood glue squeeze out on the inside corners oh, so uh wow yeah yeah genius oh i like that one yeah i wish that's i knew a that really a long good... time ago winston thanks how long have you been friends <laughs> yeah <laughs> you've been holding that one for a while that's um, a good one you'll have to wait for the video to see that <laughs> oh i gotta see that all right so my just my don't quick... suck up the the wood glue like in case we need disclaimers like eating paste back in the... <laughs> yeah it, epoxy don't blow yeah wood glue, wood glue don't, don't suck, suck. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, genius <laughs> uh, my quick answer for you um, the reason I went with the Instructables design is honestly um, it's the first chair I made and it might have been honestly even a little bit of fear of like making the first one and like doing my design and being like so off that I wouldn't get it done in time because there is different aspects of the design like the, the, the levels where the seat is has to also be the levels where a book can sit with the normal height of the book right in between the two. So I was hoping they had a good answer for me. So I, I wanted to base it close off of that. And honestly, I didn't realize how annoying it'd be to put all the uh, short wood pieces in between um, all the shelves the way it was it was it was it was miserable. Um, so it was a lot of regrets and once i realized that the design wasn't good after i already started it was like there's not enough time to to do the design work that i'd want to do to make it look nice and get it done in time for her so it's there's there's a lot of regrets but a lot of lessons learned and i think i do this a lot of times with the first time i make anything of a certain product it's like i'd rather base it off something that is a working design so then i can learn and then manipulate it because if i just go in you know blind saying I'll just design this all myself. It could come out like it could come out really well, or it could come out really wrong. And I just didn't want, I didn't have the time to risk it, to be honest. So, mm -hmm. so there, can always go into a lot more of the design talk because there's there's been there's been a lot of design thinking going on, but but uh, a lot a lot to talk about. <laughs> oh yeah. 
I look forward to seeing your future oh, Instructables article, oh, yeah. George. <laughs> I should do it. I've always wanted to do an Instructable, so maybe we'll, maybe we'll get to it. So we'll see. Hey, if you do one, uh, my class might be able to critique it because we go on Instructables a lot. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. There's a lot of stuff on there, like cardboard projects, yeah. uh, STEM things. So it's it's a pretty good thing. And plus cool. it gets them thinking, like I've had them try to make Instructables um they don't post it onto there because you know you have to be a certain age and all that stuff um but yeah like the idea of oh step one gather my materials what materials do you need what tools do you need um it is a good thing like if you were trying to sell plans i know like that was one thing we've talked about it does help you at least break it down yeah um and maybe, but yeah, maybe that's down the path I, but I yeah you've got like the youtube channel instagram like you have other ways to distribute so yeah I gotta, don't don't add that just yet i don't think instructables <laughs> is like the the avenue Cream that you gain or, customers yeah. <laughs> i think really that's one where you might lose customers because now you get more makers who are making things that's a good point too actually. which isn't the worst thing i mean we should have more people who can do that, all that stuff but yeah it's yeah. you're definitely getting your ideas out there it's a good point all right, so maybe we'll wrap it up for today, and, and then uh, hopefully we'll get to talking in two weeks or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've been pretty bad about that. <laughs> That's Sooner, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, that was a good chat. We'll catch up next time. Yep, this was fun. Yeah. Take care, guys. See you later.